Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Make sure not to miss a single podcast and subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite subscription service. The views expressed in this presentation are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Army War College, U.S. Army, or Department of Defense. Hello, and welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Jacqueline Witt, Associate Professor of Strategy and Editor-in-Chief for War Room. So some days it seems like social media has taken over our lives, and we talk about doom scrolling and tweet storms and threads and likes and impressions and advertising and blocking and subtweeting as if those things have always existed. Of course, we use social media to keep in touch with real world friends and colleagues, to cultivate new networks, and to speak to people in positions of authority, to get responses from customer service, to tell stories, celebrate accomplishments, share grief, and of course, to share pictures and videos of cats. So social media is changing the way we interact, and it also offers new possibilities for communicating, especially around stories. And so today, I'm really pleased to be here in the virtual studio with Sasha Maggio, who is an Army contractor working at the Mission Command Training Program and works in the Scenario Design Division. Uh, but she also tweets as her Twitter handle is at Mother of Tanks. And she's been working on, I think, perfecting a form of serialized storytelling on Twitter. And she's worked on some very long threads with the 18th Airborne Corps on a few of their series, um, including the Atomic Age Army series from June of last year and the Market Garden series uh, from last September. And she's also going to talk about a, a project she's working on currently. So, Sasha, welcome to the War Room. Thank you. All right, so we're really happy to have you here today. And I would like for you to talk about, um, you know, first just give us a brief overview of the of the project. Where did the idea come from and what was the goal of these long serialized narratives on Twitter? With the, with the longer series, we try to share um, different parts of the Army's history in a way that makes history a little bit more digestible for a broad audience so that uh, people that don't normally enjoy history will be drawn to it and still get something out of it. And with the current project, um, with last year being so pandemic-y, uh, I was working from home for most of that time and I wasn't feeling as productive as I could. So I just started researching and the research developed into uh, a series that I saw so much potential with, and I brought it to the Combined Arms Center, and that's what we're doing. So, Sasha, I am on social media for work and for all sorts of things, and I use Twitter differently than I use Facebook and LinkedIn and all of that, and I imagine that might be the same for, for you. Can you tell us a little bit about your social media story and then how, how did you get involved with the 18th Airborne Corps on Twitter? Sure. So um, I had I had been on social media for a long time because in uh, before I did the work that I do now, I worked in uh, content development. And when uh, when I started to become more active on Twitter a couple of years ago, I decided that I was going to create a new account that had a much more focused um, 
a much more focused design. So I wanted to share more about armor history and history in general, but especially military history because I enjoy it. So I created this Mother of Tanks account and it just kind of developed from there. And then uh, I believe it was last year in uh, 2020, uh, in January, a friend of mine on Twitter volunteered me for a sort of friendly competition with the 18th Airborne Corps Public Affairs Officer or PAO that led to us becoming friends. Um, They had been doing a series on the Battle of the Bulge and the month prior they had had a little bit of a slip with a a less than popular tweet. Um, And so this gave me an opportunity to sort of bring them some good publicity and some positive engagement because my account is seen as generally positive. Um, I don't tend to get into trouble. I don't get into fights, (laughs) that kind of thing. Um, So we did, uh, they sent me a thread on the, um, is it the 391st engineers? Maybe it was 291st. I forget. It was the one that's the damned engineers. I think it was 291st. And they, um, they go, here's our thread. This is what we're going to do. Why don't you create a thread also on this topic, and then we'll see which thread does the best. So I made and a so thread. A, a friendly competition. Right, a friendly competition. <laughs> and my thread, my thread was longer. It was full of gifts because that's how I like to do the storytelling. It um it reinforces the tone that I'm going for. And I like to throw in some humor because these topics get a little dark. And I I try to lighten it so that people are a little bit more comfortable with the topics. And um, so my thread did well. They decided that I was the winner and we, (laughs) we became friends from that point. Um, So we just, we kept working, uh, just kind of collaborating on different threads. And so through this collaboration, you worked with them, uh, as I said, on a couple of series about the Atomic Age Army, about Operation Market Garden. uh, And this sort of introduces a different style of, of storytelling in some ways. Uh, like you said, that that you're trying to make it accessible, make it uh, sort of interesting, and really reach a, a different kind of audience. Can you talk a little bit about like what things you keep in the back of your head as you're writing these Twitter threads? Sure, I um, I like to. It's important to remember that the audience, especially for an official military account is probably less than 50% army. You know, they it might be 50-50, but that's probably a generous assumption. So you want to make sure that you're, um, what you're presenting is not just for the military, because these accounts, the public affairs officers especially, they have a responsibility to sort of bridge that that gap between the civilian audience and the military. And so we need to share, and I say we, I am not a public affairs officer. (laughs) Um, I have never been. It's just, um, but I understand that role and I do a lot of collaborating with them. Uh, So when you're writing for that audience, you have to keep that in mind. Um, You also want to keep it interesting and it's not going to be interesting if it's just, it's not going to be interesting when you have a large audience if you're just targeting a very small part of that audience. Mm-hmm. So you have to keep in mind your target audience might not be the target audience that you wanted. It's the target audience that you have, you know? So 
18th Airborne Corps now has, I think, over 40,000 followers. And uh, and that's a substantial growth because when we did that competition, I think there were less than like 7,000. Mm-hmm. And um, But with... Uh, they have to remember that their audience is that 40,000 people, you know, those 40,000 plus people. It's not, um, it's not just the military or it's not just the civilian audience. And and that, I mean, that widespread audience that you don't know a ton about, you know, the number and you sort of know what people are responding to. It's, it's so diverse. That seems like a real challenge for, for PAOs and for, for anyone who's on, who's on Twitter, because you never, you never know who's going to come across one of your, one of your tweets. Um, what are some of the things that Twitter enables you to do in a storytelling way that other, you know, other things that PAOs have access to maybe don't allow them to reach that same kind of really broad public audience? I think that some PAOs don't don't necessarily catch on right away that every platform has to be different. So what they're putting out on Twitter is going to be different than what they put out on Facebook or on Instagram if they're on Instagram. Um, and then there are some PAOs that just focus on um, what is it? Dvids? Is it the mm-hmm. yeah the so, official sort of side of right the official sort of side of things. But if you want to actually reach your broadest audience, you need to understand that the content that you're putting out has to adapt to each platform. And you can use the same type of storytelling, but you have to just adjust it for each. So with the series that we're doing now with the Combined Arms Center, I'll do the threads on Twitter. And then I'll, I will also kind of reformat some of that to fit on Facebook and to work on Instagram and Instagram has a different character limit too, right. which I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that until we did this series. <laughs> so I had to, um, when I found out that that was a problem. So I, now I have to do a different threat, a different kind of post for Instagram too, mm-hmm. show that it fits. And Instagram, right. Is around images. Twitter is this combination of words and GIFs and pictures. Uh, you know, the threading is a little bit different. So they're, each of them offer, I think, different like, opportunities, right, right for, for storytelling. Um, how, would you, how would you characterize yourself as a storyteller? Like that, that seems to be um, at the heart of most of the, the threads you're doing is you're trying to take readers or the audience sort of on a on this narrative journey to tell, to tell stories. Do you have, um, I don't know, do you have a, do you have a background in, in storytelling or is that something that you think explicitly about as you're working on this? It is. Um, it, it's a little, it's a little different in storytelling because with history, everything's already complete. So like I can build it a little bit, but I want to make sure that the um, I w- my number one priority is the facts are correct. As long as the facts are correct, then how I present it is going to be like that's my that's my next priority. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Twitter, especially because the threads can get really long, because you're limited to I think it's 280 characters or spaces. You know, now with Twitter. I would rather, especially if the thread is going to be long, I would rather give them one sentence in a tweet to encourage them to read the next one than to jam pack every tweet with, you know, 
max characters, max spaces. Right. There's a yeah, there's a pacing on Twitter too, and I always I always find threads easier to read if there are complete sentences or complete thoughts. Um, and that they sort of lead, you know, you, they lead you through and they make you want to keep, to keep reading rather than, um, like you said, like lots of abbreviations and lots of like tricks to get your character count, uh, you know, down under that, under that. Yeah. I would rather, I would rather make it a longer thread with shorter tweets to, to encourage people to read it than to, um, than to jam pack it to make it a shorter shorter number of tweets because if they're all paragraphs and 280 spaces is not that much when you look at it but when it's jam packed into a tweet it looks like a lot and it's a very small commitment to ask someone to read just one sentence and then to read just one more sentence mm-hmm. especially if you're filling it with pictures and gifs so that's part of the storytelling aspect is to shape it so that it's a little bit more comfortable so that people are like, all right, this is very small commitment to read just one sentence at a time. Uh, some people have told me, some people at work have told me, they're like, I don't really like that style. They're not the target audience. <laughs> so that, that's how okay. I decide. Yeah, that's how I decide. If you don't like it, you are not the target audience because that's a lot fair. of people do like it. And um, and I know that uh, there are some there are some people who have said that they prefer when there are all historical pictures and not the gifts, but I like that type of storytelling because it, it takes the guesswork out of whether or not the, the person that composed it was trying to be funny. So if hmm. I write something and I, and I think it's kind of amusing, I want to make sure that I'm reinforcing that. The gifts can help signal gifts. tone, right? Like right. in a way that's really hard to sometimes capture in text and even in with historical pictures right because they're they're part of the archive exactly uh, and then the the gifts sort of break to use a right a theater reference they sort of break a wall between the fourth wall between the narrator and the and the audience maybe so how how is your thinking about telling stories and and telling history on twitter uh, how has it changed over over time as you've been working on these on these projects? Well, initially I thought, um, initially I was drawn to like the Twitter historian crowd because I like that type of, I I like history. Um, But one thing that I noticed was that it was, even for someone that likes history, like myself, it's a lot to sit there and read some of their Mm -hmm. tweets. This is like hashtag Twitter historians. Like these are- right academic PhD, often like university professors on Twitter. And I love it. I love what they're putting out. But I also know that for me in the middle of the day, it's a lot to sit there and read some of the stuff that they put out. And so I wanted to have a different style because I'm not a historian, at least not at the moment. And so I do this for fun. And if I'm sharing something for fun, it should be enjoyable to engage and read. And so that's my, you know, I want to make sure that the history is correct. The story that I'm telling is correct, but I want it to be a little bit different. I want it to be enjoyable for people that, and I do get that compliment a lot. Um, People will tell me that they don't normally like these types of threads, but they really enjoy mine. Mm -hmm. And so that, that to me is a big compliment because it shows that what I'm trying to do is at least working for some people. 
Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great feeling to have somebody say that they like what you're that they like what you're doing or they think what you're doing is is really valuable. Um, so can, let's talk a little bit about this uh, the series that you're working on now, building an American army, which mm-hmm. is if you're a historian, if you're a military historian, it's it's fascinating. I love them. Um, I read them. I read them a lot. Thank and you. I. So tell us about the origins for that specific project and like where, you know, where are you now and where do you hope the project ends up? Sure. Um, So last year uh, in about February, I started reading a book called The Tank Killers. Uh, I think the author is Harry Yidey. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right, but um the book was really interesting, but in the very first chapter, he mentions the 1941 GHQ maneuvers, and he mentioned them in such a way that um, they seemed really important, and I didn't have enough background on that to just instantly know. So I started to research the topic, you know, and then the following month, uh, late March, early April, I moved uh, to change jobs, and in the middle of a pandemic, we're working from home. I had all this extra time because everything was closed. So, you know, not much of a social life when there's a pandemic going on. So I just started to keep researching. And as the research grew, um, all the information that I was gathering, I started to sort of shape it in a way that um, I could I, I could see all the potential to do some good for the Army with this type of storytelling and telling this particular part of the Army's history, you know, the the massive mobilization period from 1939 to 1941 and um you know a little bit of the interwar years to to kind of reinforce that history and explain what was going on and uh and then there was also potential to support all of the all of the army's messaging you know through the um the chief of public affairs office and uh support um it telling the army's history is important. It's important for the nation, but it's also important for people that are in the army to know where, where the army comes from. Plus during this time period, we started to really focus on combined arms, which is still extremely relevant. And the shift a few years ago from coin to, uh, you know, counterinsurgency to LISCO, the large scale combat operations. I've got the words. I know I do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So you know that shift and the the relevance of this history to what we're doing now um i just i saw all the potential and i started to shape it in that way and then before i knew it i had this massive amount of information these threads that were mostly compiled and i went uh i brought it to lieutenant general rainey who's the combined arms uh the commander of the combined arms center and also fort leavenworth and um and he he supported it. He told me to uh, he had me work with his uh, public affairs office staff. And uh, and here we are with this series. Yeah. So the series includes lots of different topics. Um, you know, there have been recent ones on Army education. Uh, the one on logistics is really phenomenal. Um, do you have a do you have a favorite uh, thread that you've done so far? Or are they all sort of like special I mean, to you to, to be honest i am only doing threads that i find interesting so <laughs> there are topics that i will absolutely just kind of ignore or brush off because i if they're not personally interesting then i'm going to have a harder time making them mm-hmm. interesting for other people 
Um, but I started in late February with, um, and the funny thing is, is I have to do this, um, I'm doing this as, you know, as a hobby, you know, so I have my actual job too. This is like literally a side gig, right? Yes. I mean, this is not your, not your job. <laughs> this is not my job. Um, but I love it so much and I see how important it can be. And I want, um, I want to, I want to share this story so bad. So I'm making it happen. But I started talking a little bit about the history of the maneuvers and then, um, you know, talking about the interwar years and talking about, um, and that's something that I wasn't too knowledgeable about before I did this research. And so, you know, some of it I've learned as, as I go. Um, and then, uh, we've talked about, uh, we started with logistics. I've got more logistics topics. I've started some of the officer education. Um, I've got NCO education coming up. Um, I'm going to talk about like key players, you know, McNair, who is, extremely important to shaping the army that we have now um marshall um and uh and so many others but i also want to talk <laughs> about the um the different what the different branches of the army were doing during this time period but also kind of give an idea of what they each do and uh and in in my mind i mean maybe maybe the army has a different idea but that shows userec potential because like recruiting can use this content to show, hey, you know, we still do some of this stuff. Here are the type of jobs that we've got available. Mm-hmm. This connection uh, between the past and the present. Um, right. I think that I think Twitter and the the threads that you're putting together makes makes those connections like pretty clear and, and they're interesting to think about. Later this year, um, and I've I've kind of pushed them forward to the fall so that um, they kind of line up with when they happened, but I'll talk about the different maneuvers. Um, so the Louisiana maneuvers, um, there's also Tennessee and Arkansas before that, um, the Carolina maneuvers and, um, and then I figured that there's so much content that I can bring the series up to December and, uh, kind of end it with the, uh, with a talk of the, um, the 80th anniversary of Pearl Harbor and the official U S entry into, um, Mm -hmm. into world war two. So 2021 is 80 years later. So, that, right. you know, 80 years from these, uh, these maneuvers, 80 years from that Pearl Harbor attack, 80 years from the time that we said, all right, that's it. Now we're in war. And I just thought that was a good place to end it because we're talking about a part of the history that a lot of people don't focus as much on, at least mm-hmm. not on Twitter, you know, right. that I've seen. So it's, everybody yeah, wants it's, to talk about the war, but they, they don't want to talk about how we built up and how we prepared for that war. The prep, and, and again, we know that this is, you know, if you if you study the the period at all, that that period of waiting and anticipation, uh, especially where Roosevelt and the executive, you can you can see this like sort of march to to war and this this preparation. So Pearl Harbor is of course a surprise, uh, takes everybody right. It's a shock to the system, um, but the army has been prepping for a long time to right. figure out what it needs to do. And that's something that um I, I I try to drive that that theme too, that the um the senior leaders in the army at the time, they knew that we would have to prepare. And they were doing everything they could to help the army prepare, even when things like funding were not available. Um so they the people developing doctrine continued to develop doctrine even though they didn't have the money to test it. Mm-hmm. You know, because they knew eventually the money would be available. But things like that set us ahead. 
instead of just waiting. And then um, when the the Germans invaded uh, Poland in 1939, and it would be over two years before we were attacked at Pearl Harbor. So we had more than two years where we knew that it was coming. And, you know, so we had that pre-war mobilization period that we never had before. Mm -hmm. So I think it's such an interesting time period to like pull forward the anniversary gives it some some salience in terms of the contemporary moment uh and then i i like the way that they you know they fit together you can read a thread and they're they make sense it's complete like it it gives you um you know maybe new knowledge or new information or a new way to think about something but then you can read them together right you can like you can start to serialize the the little mini serial threads and start to like put together uh, an entire uh, entire story of the of the picture do you ever um do you ever think about what you might do with these after they're all done like in december have you have you like are they just are they just gonna stay on twitter uh well we are um i am saving them all in order on the on the combined arm center account as a twitter moment and um, I, I had talked to um, Army University Press about maybe finding a small corner of their website to recompile these as a reformat rather as um, as like articles and save them as PDFs and just hang them there. And if that doesn't happen, then I will put them on my own website. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, uh, I mean, the research is good and it's a good start. Uh, and next year I'm working on a, uh, a similar series that'll kind of focus on what the British army was doing. Oh, great. And then, um, I'm thinking about kind of taking all of this research experience. I mean, I've got two master's degrees and so it's, you know, I'm no stranger to, uh, to research and writing. And I'm thinking of trying to get into a doctorate program for maybe 2023. Great. That yeah. sounds like, I mean, that, yeah, 2023 sounds both very far away and very close. Yeah. Um, when I think about about time, that sounds really interesting. Um, well, Sasha, we are about out of, of time today, but it has been so delightful to talk to you. Uh, I would really encourage everyone who is a listener of A Better Peace, uh, if you are not already familiar with the threads that we've been talking about today, uh, to go find them. Uh, you can find them uh, on Twitter, again, her Twitter handle is at mother underscore of underscore tanks, mother of tanks. And uh, I think you can also find them. Sasha, is there another way for people to like find the things that we're talking about easily? Yeah, all the threads are posted on the Combined Arms Center account. So that's at USACAC. Um, and they're also on the Combined Arms Center Facebook page and Instagram account. But um, I have all the links saved on a uh, on like a links page on my website, which is just uh, motheroftanks.com. Great. Fantastic. So please go, please go seek these out, find them uh, and think about if you are, if you're a historian, if you're a public affairs officer, if you are in the in the social media space as part of your organization, as part of your job. Uh, I think it's, it offers real opportunities for communication, but also for storytelling and identity building and all the things uh, that Sasha has been talking about today. So 
Uh, with that, I'm going to wrap us up for today on the conversation with a better piece. Uh, so thank you all for listening in. We'd ask that you send comments on this episodes or others that you listen to, and please send us your suggestions for further episodes. We're always really happy to hear from you. Please subscribe to A Better Piece if you've not already done so on the podcatcher of your choice. And after you've subscribed, rate and review this podcast so that others may find it and so that we can continue to grow the community for conversations like the one you've just heard. Today's conversation is over, but we will continue the conversations next time. And so from the War Room, I'm Jackie Witt. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.